Welcome to Every Quarter, Phillips Academy's official podcast, where we share the compelling stories and ideas of our faculty, alumni, students, and campus guests. Our show features candid conversations on current events, academia, and Andover connections to happenings around the world. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a review and a rating. Your feedback helps us tell the types of stories you want to hear. A prominent figure in network television news, NBC correspondent Stephanie Gosk reports on national headlines and world-shaping events. She's tackled issues from the opioid crisis to terrorist attacks, natural disasters to prison escapes. She's been embedded with troops and witnessed the best and worst of humanity while covering conflicts abroad. A member of the class of 1990, Gosk returned to campus recently to discuss her latest assignment, the rise of the Me Too movement and cases of sexual misconduct that are affecting industries from business and entertainment to sports and politics. In this episode of Every Quarter, she talks about the scandal erupting around USA Gymnastics, journalistic integrity, and what it's like to report from a war zone. On a lighter note, Super Bowl fans will want to stick around for her decidedly biased view of this weekend's big game. Welcome to Every Quarter Podcast. I'm Tracy Sweet, Director of Communications, here today with Stephanie Goss from NBC News. And she um, joins us on campus today to speak with students, journalism students, to speak at ASM, and to join us here for a conversation. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you very much. Um, great. I would love to start with a little bit of context of connecting your world of journalism to your world here at Andover, having to do with your reunion. It was your 25th, I believe, in 2015, and um, you were eager to come back to campus on that RSVP list, ready to do a um, panel with fellow alums, and uh, you were on a story, an important story in our world. It was a prison break out of New York, and you weren't sure if you'd be able to get here. But you did. You made it a, a little point. slice of my life. So <laughs> totally was, unpredictable. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but talk about what that meant to you to be able to kind of leave it aside for a moment and reconnect with friends at Andover. I'll tell you, it's tough. It's tough in my job because of that unpredictability to yeah. to take those moments and to be able to come back here and see all of those faces and to reconnect to that really important time in my life. I I loved being here, and it was a really big part of um, the decisions that I made afterwards and and who I am today. And whenever I'm here, and specifically when I meet up with those people. I connect to that and I'm reminded of that and it's just it's heartwarming and it's grounding and I really did have to run away from <laughs> a story thankfully it had almost ended um, they got the guys who got out of prison but um, I was able to come here and I had a great couple of days and I reconnected with people as uh, as an adult now that actually I've stayed in contact with uh, Kirsten Todd is a member of our class she has done some incredible work in uh, cybersecurity down in Washington, D.C., and runs her own company. And actually, she and I stayed in contact, and she ended up helping me develop a story idea that just recently ran on the Today Show. So not only was it grounding and wonderful um, to get away from work a little bit, it also informed my job down the road, which was kind of cool. Nice. And I'm thinking along the lines on connections and thinking back to Andover and lessons learned or values gained or even values affirmed that you may have come here with. 
Non-civvy is something folks either leave and over with, this idea of not for self. Part of your world in journalism is exactly that, to inform, to engage. Um, but on that note, what are those, some of those stories that have touched you personally so that they've moved you to act maybe outside of your journalism profession? So to take up a cause or something that you do maybe outside of your everyday work that is very much non-sibby for you but connected to something you learned on the job. Um, let me think about that for a moment. Um, oftentimes, sometimes with our work, we... we don't get involved in causes directly um, just because we try to stay out of things that might be political in nature. But um, certainly the stories that have made the most impact on me uh, and the ones that are the most rewarding are those where you can actually see some evidence of of it, of it making change and, and causing people to sit up and, and pay attention. And I certainly think that the recent stories that we've been doing on sexual misconduct fall in that category. And I have found for sure as a result of covering both the sexual misconduct uh, outside of my industry and within it, and certainly the way that it has touched NBC News with the firing of Matt Lauer, that those stories that people, because of our coverage, have come to me, reached out to me to get my perspective on it. And the truth is, is that these conversations, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or with a group uh, or what we did today, just talking to the student body here, they make a difference. And people reevaluate how we should look at uh, the workplace and the effect that sexual relationships, particularly between bosses and their, and their juniors, how that can affect equality in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to me. And I'm thinking of that bringing up to that larger issue. And I give you credit for taking that head on at all school meeting today. The kids, you could tell, I mean, they were lined up. They had to be sort of <laughs> yeah, sent away. There was did. more than I was really to impressed ask with their you. questions, too. Absolutely. I mean, they're just, this is something that is surrounding us right now. And so there's one area where I wanted to pick up on that um, that was not asked today, but it has to do with this idea of giving volume to voices that have been silent, um, and some might say silenced for too long. And so what do you make of that shifting power dynamic? What is it about this moment in history that is different, that is allowing this to happen? I think that there's safety in numbers. And I think there were, particularly in the case of Harvey Weinstein, some very brave women who put a name and a face on something that had been happening in Hollywood for a long time. And that because of their stories and the attention that their stories got, it gave women cover. Uh, there had been fear and legitimate fear that coming forward would hurt your career. It would hurt your relationships with friends and family. Um, and ultimately would do more harm to you than it would do good. And I think that's why a lot of cases were settled out of court. I think a lot of settlements were reached with non-disclosure agreements. And I think what you're seeing now are not just women who are brave enough to speak, but also institutions coming to grips with the fact that they have to be more supportive of the women who are, who are coming forward and creating systems that 
give them institutionalized mm -hmm. cover to come forward. So whether that's going to going to the press and doing it if you choose to be public in that way, or it's just in the case of NBC News, a young woman who actually just came to management at NBC News and said, this happened to me, and this was wrong, and you need to handle it. Um, that has to be the case across the board for us to make any progress. Women have to feel that there is cover and that their stories will be heard. Yeah, and for those who choose to put a face or put a story to it, I, that is just, it feels so much more real, I think, in this sense now. Whereas prior, um, even say if the numbers were of this magnitude, mm -hmm. the faces weren't there always. Or perhaps, and this may be some decision journalistically, I think, where there was a protective um, kind of shield to victims, either faces were blacked out and now they're agreeing when asked, and that's empowering too. I think you said something really important there. I think um, the, the power of a face and a name um, can't be overstated. You have going on right now, and it's been happening this week and started last week, it's the um, sentencing hearing for Larry Nasser, who is the former doctor for the USA Gymnastics team. And he has something in the neighborhood of 140 plus accusers. He's, he, was, uh, he, pled, he pleaded guilty to multiple charges of sexual abuse of a minor, but certainly the vast majority of his accusers were not part of these charges in Michigan. But the judge, and as part of his plea deal, the judge opened up the sentencing hearing to all of his accusers. And what we have seen over the last week or so of these women coming forward and telling their stories, even the women that we had, had heard before in newspaper articles, we knew their names, to have them come forward and tell that story in court, in front of him, to a judge, to listen to it, to see their emotion, it just has a visceral effect. And you have seen the coverage of that story completely energized by these stories and the institutions that have these questions that they need to answer, USA Gymnastics and Michigan State University. Their feet are being held to the fire because of these stories. And it's a great example of how impactful it can be. It is, and I believe in that um, sentencing too. I think even uh, Larry Nasser asked, he said this was mentally um, debilitating for him. and He how, didn't want to hear it. He didn't. It was yeah. a very interesting dynamic. So um, moving on to a, a different topic, you've been wonderful on this one and, and really shared a, a lot with students and, again, went right at it. And I love that the students were engaged in it themselves too. They cared deeply. Um, as well, I'm thinking about the role of journalism more broadly and sort of the kinds of things that a, a seasoned broadcast journalist has to deal with in a climate of uh, citizen journalists, influ social influencers, bloggers, uh, accusations of fake news from yeah. <laughs> the top. Yeah. And so in, in a way, how do you react, if at all, to, to things like that? Is it just noise in your world or do you feel that there's some sort of higher calling that you that broadcast news now has to sort of reprove itself. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely more than just noise. I think it is an, an existential threat to our industry. I think we have to pay attention to it. And I think that our principles, always important, um, the guiding principles of journalism, always important, but now more than ever. And I think the inclination sometimes for reporters who are really angry by some development, whether it's something the administration did or something, 
President Trump himself said that oftentimes that anger is pushing them to cross lines that they wouldn't otherwise cross as far as bringing their own personal perspective into the coverage of a story. And I think we do that at our own jeopardy because it just gives license to people to further criticize what we're doing. So so that's that's one thing. That's that's one part of of this story. And I think that we have to, and certainly in the job that I do, I constantly am trying to ask the question, you know, am I, am I being fair? Am I listening to all of the voices in the story? Are we adequately giving people their right to speak? And that, that is part of every story that we do. And we have to fight to prove that we are telling the truth now. And that's an unbelievable position to be in, a sad position to be in, but we have to consider that some of the criticism we deserve. Do we deserve all of it? Are we lying to the American public? No, we're not. NBC News does not go out to lie to the American public. Our criticisms of bias on the part of NBC News and other news organizations, something we should listen to and perhaps react to, um, yeah. They absolutely are. How do we cover stories? How are we blinded by our own institutional biases? Um, and how does that influence where we go and who we talk to? And we have to take that into consideration because as a result, we may be losing people that now no longer trust us. Does it make it harder to do your job today than when you first started in the industry? Does it feel like this is just a difficult, yeah. more tangly kind of yes. way? Yeah. yeah, it's tougher. I, I the, the country is so deeply split as well, and the distrust is remarkable to every corner of the country. And in the last five or six years since I've been back living in the US, I've seen so many different parts of the country. It is, uh, I never had to experience this before I moved overseas where people will actually come up to me and say, you work for NBC News, how can you work for an organization like that that deliberately lies to the American public? And you have to stand back and go, whoa, wow, that is, that is a change. Um, and where do we have responsibility um, with that opinion, and how do we fight against it? Yeah, interesting. Um, and speaking of some maybe stories that have touched you in terms of like just the passion for going for the project, special assignments, mm-hmm. going abroad. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of some of those places where you've been, war-torn countries embedded with troops. Um, talk about that in terms of a different kind of journalism. So there's a little bit of the what you do today with investigative journalism mm-hmm. or a, maybe a he said, she said, but when you are embedded in a war-torn country, that is just a whole different animal. It is. It's a very different kind of story. War journalism and being in those places is in large part just getting to those places. Uh, that That is really the, the toughest part of it often is just being in the place where it's happening because very often that place is a dangerous one. So um, it is the struggle to get there, um, to be there, and just to see it. You, you want to witness, just to get your eyes on it is the most important part of telling that story, very unlike a lot of the other stories that I cover here domestically. And um, as a result, I, you, have a, you certainly have a connection to a place, um, and you have experiences that shape who you are. And they give you perspective on life 
that uh, very few people, I would say, and I would call it a privilege, very few people have the privilege of, of getting. And that's to go to a place like Iraq and to see the people in that country dealing with uh, a war they didn't ask for um, and their lives destroyed and living in a, in a violent, war-torn place where the very basics of their existence, all they want to do is work and feed their families and, and have the freedom to move and do what they want to do. To be there and to see that um, and then to leave it and go back to my own world, um, it just changes how I view that world. And it, I have a, an appreciation for, for the wonderful things in my life that, that's on a different level as a result of it, I think. Mm -hmm. And even on the home front, thinking of the natural disasters and some of the more recent um, hurricane-ravaged areas, to see what those that are a plane ride away, a couple hour plane ride away, and Absolutely, to yeah. understand what they're going through along those same lines. Does that yeah. feel like a war zone at times? Yeah. It definitely does. Uh, I think Hurricane Harvey had that feel to it. Um, God, the city of Houston, as it the entire city flooded with images, that, right, they were apocalyptic. I mean, unbelievable situations and, and people that lost everything overnight and um, their lives completely torn, torn apart. And without a lot of recourse or, or resources to, to fix it. I mean, these are people that were looking down the barrel at months, years to try to get their feet back on the ground. Uh, it's a really tough place to be in. In those cases, um, do you feel like there's uh, part of the world of a, a journalist in that case is to send those images wide? to tell that story in a wide way so that change can happen, so that action can take place. Not that it wouldn't anyway, because it should, but there's a, this awareness that is brought to something like that. I think for those natural disaster stories, it is a big part of getting people help, showing those images. It's one of the reasons why you can raise money. Social media and all of uh, the world that we live in today also helps that and drives that, but ultimately it's the stories that you're able to tell about about people that go through those experiences that that allow people to connect with it and, and to help out. It also can potentially change policy if there's policy that needs to be changed, whether it's how we deal with a flood insurance or what's declared a floodplain. What, uh, you know, the flooding that they dealt with in Houston was, I guess if you're, you're considered in a floodplain, if it's uh, a, once in 50 year flood situation um, but these people were living in places that were the flooding was considered once in 200 years or the, the categories were kind of completely all over the place but yet they actually were always in danger of a flood if the if the dams broke um, rethinking how we we classify those flood zones is a big part of telling that story and, and hopefully it happens as a result of some of the reporting that we did and others did. And along those lines of um, speaking to victims, whether it's a, a tragedy, a natural disaster, or a war, are you, what are some of the times when you've been really amazed that people have actually spoken with you? <laughs> you've gotten an interview that just sort of blew your mind. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I, am, I am always uh, surprised and 
and also deeply affected by people that, that want to talk to us after a, a tragic death in their family. And because I cover a lot of these mass shootings um, or terrorist events, we often, those are the people that we, we try to talk to. It's one of the hardest things that we do in our business is to go and see if those people will talk to us. And I also think, um, now that I have little kids of my own, that I'm, I cry a lot easier than I used to. And when I went to Las Vegas, there was a, a mom who had showed up at the, at the Family Resource Center, and she had been in Las Vegas with her 25-year-old son, just celebrating for the, for the week. And he was a former Marine, and he had actually been in Iraq a couple of times, and she was showing me pictures of him in the pool with her, and he was at that concert, and he was shot and killed. And, I mean, I was everything that I could do to, to not cry as this woman was breaking down in front of me, telling me the story about her son. It, it was awful. I took it home with me. I think about it. Um, those, those tragedies are, they're so difficult. And, and it's still, for some people, it's hard for me to believe that they, that they why they would want to share it. I, perhaps it's therapeutic in some way to tell those stories. Perhaps this, this mother wants people to know about her son and, and who he was. Um, or perhaps she's in shock and is just trying to figure out how to deal with those moments. People talk for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah. Um, but it's heartbreaking. <laughs> in, in the time you've been in the business, what are those the kinds of things that continue to motivate you? That there's something bigger here than simply telling a story. It's unraveling the complexities of an issue. It's maybe yeah. moving policy or moving the needle on something. Um, those are certainly the most rewarding moments. Um, it's, it, can also be, it can also be an enormously frustrating job. Uh, back to just talking about those mass shootings for a moment, it's incredibly frustrating that we can, as a country, figure out a way to, to keep them from happening, to take steps to keep them from where we are. We are at such loggerheads on what will actually make an impact and what people will support. Um, and it's upsetting and frustrating that we continue to have to go and tell those stories. The stories that I can tell where, we, where changes are made, where institutions respond, where um, for instance, in covering the, the gymnastic story with the, the doctor, Larry Nasser, you hope that giving that attention to that story will change the way USA Gymnastics is run. Um, the stories that have been coming out as a result of, of what he did are not just about him. They are also about the entire culture at USA Gymnastics and what these young athletes have been put through to get gold medals. And they are starting to tell those stories as a result. And if we can highlight those stories and change the culture of USA Gymnastics and make it a priority, the health and well-being of these young women the priority instead of just the gold medals, I think that that is, that is huge change and it needs to happen. Those are, the, those are the stories that certainly are the most rewarding. It's powerful. Thank you. Um, I wanted to, this has been fantastic, but to end on a lighter note, but something that is really deeply important to us here yeah. in New England. Will, yeah. you, will you be covering the Super Bowl? Okay, so I am an unapologetic, absolute Patriots maniac. 
I am a huge Patriots fan. I always have been. I was a Patriots fan even when Steve Grogan was the quarterback and they lost all the time. I remember them being at negative yardage in 1985 with the Bears at halftime in the Super Bowl. I had been through all of that. I was living in Boston when they won the Super Bowl for the first time with Tom Brady. I am in it. I am steeped in it. I am a huge NFL fan. I love watching football. Patriots clearly are going to destroy the Philadelphia Eagles. It won't even be a contest. I will be watching from South Korea (laughs) because I will be there for the Olympics. Um, But you can bet I will be cheering very, very loudly. That is fantastic. That's what we like to hear. Unapologetically (laughs) biased. (laughs) Thank you, Stephanie. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover and made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Fund, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. Like what you've heard? Spread the word. Share EQ with friends and connect with us via hashtag EveryQuarterPodcast. You can also find us at podcast.andover.edu. Thanks for listening. I'm Tracy Sweet.